Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 108 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. And my gratitude is at a higher level than than usual today. Because as you're listening to this, I am in the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, recovering from right lung surgery to remove what we hope is the last metastasis, sending me quickly on the road to NED, no evidence of disease. And I rarely ask anything of my audience other than to listen, but it would mean the world to me if you're listening to this episode, if you would just give me a shout out on either Facebook, uh, either on the We Have Cancer page or on my personal site, Lee Silverstein, Instagram, We Have Cancer Pod, Twitter, also at We Have Cancer Pod, and just say hey. I'm going to be pretty bored, I know, laying in, laying there in the hospital recovering surgery, and it would mean the world to me to, just to know that this episode came out and folks are listening, and, and it's one I know you're going to enjoy. So if you could do me that favor, it really would mean the world to me. Obviously, I'm recording this several weeks prior to the surgery, but uh, I know I'll be laying there looking for things to do and uh, would love to hear from you. I really would. Did you know that we have cancer? is available on Spotify. Spotify continues to grow in popularity. They're making a big push to add podcast content uh, to the platform. And uh, I'm often asked, you know, where do I find your show? And certainly you can go to the website at wehavecancershow.com. But again, we're on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcast. We are on Google Podcast. We are on Overcast, which is the podcast player that I use on my phone. You can pretty much find us anywhere. Let's get to this week's episode and my interview with my dear friend, Candace Henley. Candace is back for a second stint on the show. I interviewed Candace way back three years ago, episode 12. And here we are at episode 108, and Candace is back. If you want to listen to my first interview with Candace, go to wehavecancershow.com forward slash 012. You'll hear all of Candace's backstory. And it was time for her and I to catch up and really delve into the tireless advocacy work that Candace does. She's created uh, and has grown her nonprofit organization, uh, Blue Hats and Bowties. And you can find Candace all over online. If you look for her, she's very active on Twitter. You can find her at colon underscore survivor on Twitter. You can find her on Instagram at Penelope Pitt underscore stop. Penelope Pitt underscore stop is where you can find Candace on Instagram. Those of you who are about my age who grew up in the late 60s, early 70s might recognize Penelope Pitt stop as uh, one of the less popular Saturday morning cartoons, but it was one of my favorites. I think that's Candace's way of giving a shout out to Penelope Pitt stop. But anyway, I know you're going to enjoy hearing from Candace again. So join me now for my conversation with Candace Henley. Candace, my friend, it's so great to reconnect with you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So much is going on. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm yes. trying to think, when did we last see each other? It was last, it was less than a year ago. It was in yes. Cleveland. Yeah. In, in Cleveland, which was, yep. which was at the conference. And this episode is probably going to come out in November of this year. So it'll be a year and always fun times when we get to a chance to be together. But, <laughs> you know, I was looking back and you reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, let's let's do another interview, which thank you for for doing that and sparking my memory. 
this is probably going to be like episode 108, I'm guessing. Yes, and, uh, and fantastic. I'm looking at the list and it's like, we first spoke over three years ago. That was episode really? 12. 12. So for our listeners, <laughs> if you want to hear the beginning of Candace's story, just go to wehavecancershow.com forward slash zero one two. But my goodness, can you believe it's been over three years and no. so much has happened oh for both gosh. of us? Yes. Yes. This is amazing. I didn't even realize that it was, it was that long. And when, when I reached out to you, I was like, you know, I really need to kind of update my story, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and the, and the transitions that have happened. And it's like, I was like, you know, we need to do an update. <laughs> so I got to ask the, the most important question first yes. is how's your health? It's good. It's better. I have had challenges with bowel blockages in the last mm. couple of years. And, and it's something that is to be expected from us long-term survivors and and it's not something that I've done physically, you know, nothing I ate. It's just something that happens with scar tissue. And uh, my last stint was in the hospital in June. And I just narrowly avoided surgery when my my bowels decided that they were going to like, okay, we're going to work now. So, mm. <laughs> but outside of that, I'm getting my health back. So I made a decision that I was going to work out because I had been in so much pain. I'd had fibromyalgia, mm. COPD, along with, you know, other, you know, issues, you know, long-term issues that they can't figure out just yet because they pop up, you know, it's not something that they can diagnose you with. It's just something that when it happens, you know, that's when they diagnose you with. And a good friend of mine is a physical fitness trainer, but he, he has a, a specification for people with chronic health conditions. And I told him about my um, stint in the hospital and that I really wanted to do something different. And I wanted to reclaim my life because I was so afraid of the pain and afraid of, of, you know, every day I would get up, I would be, you know, I was in pain management. And so now I'm in a different type of pain. It's a pain from working out. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a good pain. I know it is the good pain, but I've lost, I've lost 20 pounds and I'm down a size Fantastic. and, and I feel more energetic than I've done, than I've felt in years. Good for you. And do I have it right? Are we up to 15 years survivor now? Yes. 15 years this past God June. bless you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm so excited. It was, it's my 1551. <laughs> I turned 15 as a as a cancer survivor and I turned 51 years old. Okay. So 1551. Okay, yes. that works. That works. <laughs> there might be a tattoo there, I don't know. I know, I was thinking about that. I'm working on that, trust me. Uh-huh. And and also since we last spoke, you've built a wonderful relationship with someone who's become a dear friend of mine even though Unlike you, I haven't had the chance to meet him, Dr. Andrew Albert. Yes, yes. We are, I call him my partner in colon cancer crime. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been on the show, uh, episode 79, I believe it was. So listeners can go back to wehavecancershow.com forward slash 079. Yes. Uh, but tell me about some of the work uh, that you've done with Dr. Albert. Well, he had the wonderful idea to hit the corporate world to talk about colon cancer. And we um, had a meeting at a law firm and, well, a, a lunch and learn at a law firm uh, through the American Cancer Society. And it was great. And it was also alarming because there were questions that were asked, like, what is your digestive system? And does colon cancer affect women as well? And we knew then that this was something that like, whoa, we are really onto something because if not just, you know, the regular world, but corporate America, I mean, this is a colon cancer can happen to anyone, but we were like, we really need to hit people that are, you know, they're working that don't necessarily go to the doctor all the time. And we were like, and, and, and he had, this is his brainchild. So let me, let me give him credit for this. This is his brainchild. Dr. Albert is extremely passionate about it. And I go w along with him to tell my story because, of course, you know, my story, it has so many parts to it. 
as an under 50 colon cancer survivor, and then just the relationship of what cancer can do to a person's life. And he interprets to, you know, the, the audience that we're, that we're having, you know, lunch with and explain to them what a digestive system is, you know, what happens during a colonoscopy, what happens, you know, if you have to have colon cancer surgery, what, you know, and how things. So as I tell my story, he interjects in certain parts to explain you know, you know, the technicalities of, of what my story means about, you know, getting a colonoscopy, having a fit test and, you know, and, and what happened after, you know, what happens afterwards. And the response is so great. And it was something that we were like, you know what, we really need to continue to do this to which he has. And he is truly trying to get more um, corporate, a more corporate entity involved in this to say, hey, we need to talk more to your people to your employees about taking care of their health. So more to come. I'll let him tell that portion of, of, of his of his next story. <laughs> but it's Fair it's enough. a but it's great. You know, sometimes those of us who live in the colon cancer world like you and I do take basic knowledge for granted. And I recently saw just what you stated that someone asked, can women get colon cancer too? And I was, I was speechless when I read that comment, mm -hmm. but it just, to your point, goes to show that there's still so much education that needs to happen out there. Oh my goodness. On a, it is. And I hear it on a daily basis when I do uh, community outreach and it's, it's a constant statement. I didn't know that women can get colon cancer and my response is anyone that's born with a colon can get colon cancer. It's an equal opportunity disease. Uh, and it's alarming because, you know, when, when they remove the health portions of health out of the school system, that's part of that. So our kids are going through school through, during health, not knowing the parts of their bodies. And so when they become adults, as adults, we don't know all the parts of our bodies. And so when you hear someone say, I didn't know that women get colon cancer, it's almost like, it's not like, you know, a woman, ha you know, I mean, it, it's, it's almost the saying, okay, well, you know, if you, she doesn't have a penis, she can't get colon cancer. It, it, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you, you have to, you got to find a way to, to, to make it relatable, you know, comedic to ease the, the, the lack of knowledge, because some people may, you know, feel like, okay, well, you know, you could kind of make me feel, and I'm like, no, I, I don't, I didn't try to make you feel, you know, weird or not smart, but it's one of those things that it's like, if you have a colon, if you're born, and so you're, everyone is born with a colon, you know, except unless somebody has a birth defect, but I, I always tell them everyone is born with a colon. And so anyone that has a colon has this opportunity. And this is part of your colon. And I start with showing them where, where the digestive system starts and where it ends. And it's amazing at times because, you know, those that are honest, they say, I really didn't know that. I didn't know okay. that's what it was called. And I think in some sense that the folks overseas, particularly in, in the UK, where they refer to it as bowel cancer. They don't call it colon cancer. Mm -hmm. I almost, I think they're onto something because <laughs> I think more people w know that term, yes. uh, bowel, than they know colon. And, and I wonder if, hmm, you know, hearing you say what you're, what you've just said is, uh, maybe they've got it right. Maybe that's the way to refer to it. And maybe there'd be less, less questions about who can get it. I know. I know. Right. Because I mean, because yeah. everyone knows about passing a bowel, having a bowel movement, right, you know, right. but we're the ones that change it from having, you know, colon to pooping to something <laughs> else. I mean, we have so many terms for it. So, right. you know, it, it is it's not surprising that people are confused. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Now, when we spoke if I, if memory serves and I did, did not go back and look at my notes, but when we spoke back in 2015, you had just started with this program of reaching out to the African-American churches in the Chicago community. And if I, I may be pulling this number out of the sky, Candace, <laughs> but I want to say that at that time you'd kind of corralled about eight churches into this Blue hat and bow tie thing. Yes, at that um, time, yes, we're up to fifteen. 
<laughs> up to 15. So, so uh, for folks who hadn't had a chance to listen uh, to our initial conversation, tell us more about Blue Hat and Bowtie. Uh, I know that now it's a uh, nonprofit, but, but tell, bring us up to speed on, on what's happening there. Okay. So Blue Hat Bowtie Sunday is an event that I started at my church. Oh, gosh, we're in our eighth year. So this past year was our eighth year. And it was before we started a foundation, it was just simply in a way that we wanted to raise awareness of colon cancer that was non-threatening, but fashionable because everybody likes to dress up fashionably. And it was simply because we saw um, the Red Hat Society and I was like, well, you know, they're onto something with that. And, you know, and, and church was where, where can you go to wear a fabulous hat? Church. And it started with a few family members and friends. And now it is, uh, <laughs> we're in our eighth year. And this past year, we decided to add a different element to it. And the element was, was pathway to prevention. And what that does is it is a, how can I explain it? It's kind of co other comorbidities that would prevent people from being screened for colon cancer. So other health conditions such as high blood pressure, such as um, heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes. These are all other health conditions that all lead to colorectal cancer. And last year I did a kind of like a, a research, I was on a, on a, on a, a mission to find out more about colon cancer and how colon cancer affects people and what prevents people from being screened for colon cancer. And majority of the conferences that I went to and the researchers talked about how there were other health issues that were keeping people from getting screened for colon cancer. You know, so if your blood pressure is high, when you go in for a colonoscopy, chances are they won't give you a colonoscopy because your blood pressure is too high. So that's, you know, that that's something that's a health condition that they're concerned about. If your diabetes is not managed, there's a possibility you won't be able to have your colonoscopy done because your diabetes is not managed. And so there's there's risks. There's other health risks involved. And so if these are not managed, then how can someone think about going to do something else that they need to manage? And so I reached out to, because I've been involved in community, community events with various hospitals throughout to, uh, the state of Illinois and city of Chicago. And I reached out and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Will you join me? What, would, you know, what do you think about this? And it was offering free screenings for high blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes, and heart disease, as, along with colon cancer. And every one of my community partners said yes. And so this past year for March, we had um, four major hospitals and we had three, four, five clinics. I'm sorry, five community clinics all at my church. And my church has over 8,000 members. And they offered free screenings to anyone that wanted to. And it, it wasn't just limited to anyone in the church. We put the information out to various boards and, you know, we, we posted it everywhere. So anyone that came to church and needed to be screened, they were offered this screening for free. And that was because we wanted to make sure that we educated people about taking care of their own health, other health issues, and why it's important to not only maintain that condition, but along with that condition, be screened for colon cancer. How was the event received by the community? Fabulous. <laughs> I, I, when I tell you, I was, I was in amazement. I sat there in awe at watching people go to the various tables and receive the information. We even had mammograms there, believe it or not. <laughs> but go to the tables to be checked for their blood pressure, to receive the information about being screened for colon cancer and setting and signing up, you know, for fit kits and going in for consultations. It was absolutely fabulous. And I was, and I was sitting there 
okay. And we did this in a matter of three months. I mean, in Jan- January, we decided, I, you know, it was kind of like, okay, we had our, our regimen, but I was like, we really need to do something different. We're in our eighth year. We need to step up our game outside of just talking about colon cancer and having that information about the other health conditions. I was like, I really need to talk to, you know, the community about managing not just colon cancer, about managing their health, because this is the pathway to colon cancer. And how do we stop that? We have to prevent this. So that's why we tied, entitled it Blue Hat Bowtie Sunday Pathway to Prevention. And they came out, They everyone that was, you know, that participated, they received the information, they got tested. Those that, that had high blood pressure, the, the hospitals and the clinics followed up with them. It was fantastic. I was overwhelmed Outstanding. With, with, with happiness. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, my, my follow-up question, because this topic has come up several times as I've interviewed folks, is what did you see, Candice, at this event in terms of participation between women and men? You know, of course, I saw more women. I saw more women come out, but I did see a lot of wives pushing their husbands to be tested for their blood pressure and tested for their diabetes um, and to talk to someone and then have them talk to or to get the information about going in for a colonoscopy. So I saw a lot of wives leading the the trail, so to speak, for the husbands to be tested. And those that who had husbands that weren't there, they received the information and signed up how to have someone call, you know, to have someone call the husband you know, to make sure my husband, you know, he gets off work at this time. You can call our house after, you know, this time because I, my husband needs to be tested. He has never he's never had a colonoscopy. And I was like, well, how old is your husband? And she said he's 67. Mm. And I was like, he's never had a colonoscopy. She says never. No one ever told him to have a colonoscopy. And that was a common theme. And, and we also had a doctor that I work with. She was there, um, you know, she, we had a gastro and she was there to talk to anyone and everyone that wanted to talk, you know, a, and ask questions about having a colonoscopy and what it entailed. And, you know, all, I mean, it was it was just just having all of those different entities. But again, it was more women than men that participated and it was more older people. And one of the things that my daughters did and I asked them to do is to corral younger people as well and, and let them know that young people do get colon cancer. They sure do. Yes. They sure do. Unfortunately, yes. we're seeing that, aren't we? Yes, we are. And, and it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking. So this obviously has been a passion project of yours for, for many, many years, but I know that this isn't the only advocacy work that you do. Tell us about what else has been keeping you busy. Oh, my goodness. So it, things have transitioned so differently than what I initially set out to do. And my, and my goal was simply to educate, you know, communities of color and underserved communities about being tested for colon cancer. But what I found myself doing in the last year and a half now is doing, I, can, I guess I can say it, it's kind of like a tour um, where I'm going to conferences and I'm speaking to genetic counselors and researchers about how to engage in community outreach and talking about clinical trials and the importance of minority participation and genetic testing and educating researchers on how to do this because it is not something that you can, there are, there are fears of in communities of color. There are historical fears. And so I, I wind up making sure that when I tell my story, I am also connecting that to genetic counseling and clinical trials as it relates to to my story. As you know, I have a family history of colon cancer that I had no idea about. And having that, having known that and, and not having known that when I was diagnosed, that became a very important part of my story and a very important part of my education piece to when I do talk to doctors. And I tell them, and, if, and I said, family secrets kill families. And that's something that I started talking about after my diagnosis. And then I, once I found out from my aunt that my father and two aunts were diagnosed with cancer. And I was like, these are family secrets that are killing families. And when I say that to doctors, it's almost like a light bulb <laughs> comes on to see, you know, their faces like, 
We've never heard it said like that. Yes. And I find it rewarding because I am now, I'm, I'm educating both sides. I'm educating the community about a disease that could wipe them out, but something that they don't have to die from because if they get tested, if they know their family history, if they talk about it, if they, you know, if they just simply just take that extra step and going to the doctor and asking questions, they could very well save their own lives. And on the other side, I'm talking to researchers about how to go into the community and talk about genetic testing and clinical trials in a manner that is non-threatening and to understand that you're not going to get the response that you want to get right away because communities of color are still suffering from things that have happened in the past as it relates to clinical trials. And, you know, as, as you understand, the Tuskegee exper experiment comes up mm -hmm. quite often. Interesting. Wow. It's, and it's still fresh. It's still, it's still a part of history that makes communities of color non-trusting of the medical community. I'd never, I had never put those two and two together till you mentioned it now, but it makes all the sense in the world. And that, and the same way with when I talk to the doctors, they're the same way. They're like, still? And I'm like, still? I'm like, do you mm -hmm. understand? Do you know how long that happened? You know, how long that experiment was? And then how long it took for it to be uncovered? And you think about the generational mistrust that has been passed on from great-great-grandparents and aunts you know, about what happened and why they don't go to the doctors and this is why. So every time something happens as a result of at the hands of the doctor, say, this is why I don't go to the doctor. I'm okay. I'm fine. I know when I don't feel well. And so this has, this has happened in generations and you have young people that won't go to the doctor because their grandfather or great grandmother have told these stories about the Tuskegee experiment and told about why they don't go to the doctors. And when they go to the doctors, they turn into guinea pigs and they don't want to be a guinea pig. I don't want a doctor to touch me. I'm fine. And that, and we're not fine. And that is why I do this because I want to break that generational cycle. I'm fine. Cause you're not, you know, you're dying unnecessarily from a disease that's 90% preventable, but because of generational stories, we will not go to the doctor out of fear. And I'm trying to ease that fear by telling my story and connecting it to why had I known about my family history, I could have been tested and possibly avoided having colon cancer. And that's why it's important for them to talk about issues that happen in the family. But communities of color are conditioned to keeping secrets, you know, and I, you know, I, I won't even say communities of color, you know, their families have secrets and we're conditioned to keep those secrets. You know, you have drug abuse, you have domestic violence, you have, you know, illnesses that run in the family and you, you know, you have child molestation. So we have histories, no matter what, what background you have, there's a history of keeping secrets. And I want to try to break that and say, this is not one of those secrets that you need to keep because what you don't tell is going to kill your children and your grandchildren simply because you were trying to keep your things to yourself. This is yeah. not one of those things you need to keep to yourself. Yeah, that's incredibly important. And I think when it comes to health, the word fine should be definitely regarded as a four letter word. Yeah. I was fine. Yeah. I was fine. I had no symptoms. I just went to get my colonoscopy because mm -hmm. I had turned 50 mm -hmm. and woke up to find I had colon cancer. And wow. I was I was fine. Wow. So fine yeah. is not a gauge. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I also, after I was diagnosed, speaking of family history, I get from my mother, oh, you know, my father. Yes. That's, what, that's what he passed away from. My maternal grandfather I was like, it would have been nice to have known that. Yes. I was seven years old at the time. I didn't know what he died from when I was seven. Yes. <laughs> yeah. See, so, that, that's secret, what happens. The, the African-American community does not does not have a copyright on secrets. Well, exactly. Believe me. Exactly. You know, you are, you so are does so the right. Jewish community. 
Okay, it is. It doesn't matter what background. Families are in a habit of keeping secrets, and it's killing us unnecessarily. It's killing us, mm-hmm. and it's heartbreaking. Especially, I had one uh, one woman that I spoke to, and I said, "You really need to talk to you, your family about." what's going on with you. And she said to me, why? They can find out just like I did. It's my business. It's my personal business. Mm. And I said, you have grandchildren. And she said, okay, but this is my business. I don't want anybody to know that I have cancer. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, do you know how many lives in your family you could save just by sharing that you're battling colon cancer? Do you, do you know? And she was only 52. Wow. So, and I was like, come on, come on. And so when I, when I, when I share these stories to the doctors, the researchers and geneticists, I mean, they're all doctors, of course, um, but they're, but the different fields, they, you know, they're all in shock and, but it's, but it's rewarding for me because I'm imparting knowledge to bridge the gap between the two. And it has become so passionate for me it be, it has become so important that it it actually flows through my so <laughs> so to speak that i think that it's important and it's also important to have the patient voice at the table at these conferences you know no question you're you're so right you're so right it's important because for so long our voice it wasn't it wasn't considered important because we weren't academic um, and we didn't have the representation until one day it, it finally became one of those things that we really need to have a patient voice. And I'm in areas where not only do we have a patient voice, we also have a minority patient voice. We also have a woman's patient's voice. So I'm fitting in areas that are much needed and I feel proud to be there. I don't take it lightly at all. I understand. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavor, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CCPOD, they'll give you 10% off your first order. You received some fairly prestigious recognition from the American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeons. I did. Tell us about tell us about that. <laughs> yes, it was the the David David Hagelman Award, mm-hmm. and I was so in shock because I called them one day because I, I followed them on Twitter. And I was like, you know what? They're right here in Illinois. Why don't we work together? Why don't I, you know, why don't I share their information? Why don't we type of connection? Because they're, you know, they were following everyone else. And I said, well, maybe they don't realize that I exist here, you know, in Chicago. So I reached out to them, left them a voicemail message. And I called, I'm trying to say, no, I think she called me like maybe about a week and a half later. And and we, you know, we started talking and she goes, oh, yes, congratulations on, on, on your award. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, I think you might have mistaken me for someone else. I said, because I called and left you a message about working with you here in Illinois because I'm a nonprofit here in Illinois doing community outreach. And she says, oh, wow. She says, oh, no, no one told you. And I said, no one told me what. <laughs> and she said, well, we follow you. We've been following your work on Twitter. 
and the work your community outreach and we wanted to give you the award for your community outreach and the work that you've been doing raising awareness of colorectal cancer and i was like are you sure you're ta- me candace henley the Blue Hat Foundation. <laughs> you got the <laughs> right person <laughs> yeah she said she said yeah she's like i'm so sorry i thought someone called you and I thought that's why you were calling us. I said, no, I was calling to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so I was so I, I was so outdone. I when I got off the phone, I I really was in awe because I was like, that was not what I was expecting. You know, and and when I when I looked it up and I realized how prestigious of an of an award that was, I was truly, truly, I was I mean, I was in tears because I was like, oh, my gosh. And they found me on Twitter. And, you know, I, I, I didn't do I don't do this for awards. I do this because, you know, of what happened to me and to be able to represent patients and to be acknowledged as well is such a great thing. And, and I'm hoping that other patients see that their voice can be just as powerful as mine. I'm just a busybody that doesn't know how to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I still look at the award in awe. As a matter of fact, someone visited me a couple of weeks ago and saw the award and said, oh, so who's the doctor in the family? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was like, uh, I, I can attest because <laughs> I've, I've met you several times and, uh, and you know I love you. And I, know I love you. <laughs> and I know you don't do this for the glory and the recognition, but this recognition, Candace, says what you what you'd want it to say. It says yes. that you're doing good work. Yes. And you're making a difference. And, and, and I think if you look at it that way, uh, I'm sure when you look at it through that lens that it's an award that you embrace. Oh my goodness. I I I really do. And and I and I I hope that my children see it as a way of overcoming adversity and not allowing something that changed your life so drastically. I mean, it's almost, what is it, making lemons out of lemonade? I mean, maybe making lemonades out of lemon. <laughs> you know, and I have a saying, I'm like, I don't want to make lemonades. I want to throw the lemons back because I don't want it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I interviewed and, and another one who I've talked to twice and haven't had the chance to meet yet. But uh, I interviewed Michael Holtz originally two episodes before you. Yeah. And Michael said, some people say, you know, cancer is a, is a gift. And he said, if this is a gift, I'm giving it back. Absolutely. <laughs> so the same thing. That's you just said. <laughs> yes. I was like, I don't want these lemons. I, don't, I do not want to make lemonade. I, <laughs> you know, I'm throwing it back. It was, but it was something I, I, I mean, I'm still, when I look at the award and, and, and when I met them and when I went there to receive the award, I was so overwhelmed by the, the, you know, the people, the, you know, the niceness, not, not that people are nice, but I mean, it was just them saying to me, we appreciate what you do. And I was sitting back like, but you guys are the doctors. You all are the ones that are out here saving lives, you know, and to, to receive something like that um, f- and being recognized from the work that they do to the work that I do, oh my gosh, it is an outstanding award. And I, I am truly grateful. I really am. I, I don't take it for granted at all. No, I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you don't. And I remember during our first conversation, Candace, if I recall that you were originally told that you had maybe three years or so. Yes. And here we are at 15. 15. What do you, what do you think about when you think back? I will, oh my gosh, I was in such a dark place those years. I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea. And I was, I had so many emotions in my head. And I think of so much I would have missed if I was successful in my suicide attempt. And what I, what I, what I see now that was different then is that there's so many things in place now for patients when they leave the hospital, when they are diagnosed with cancer. And I often sit back and say, gee, I wish I had had that then. But then if I did, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And so I look at it as 
it happens, it was 15 years ago. But when I look at it now, it seems like it just happened five years ago <laughs> because it's still mm -hmm. so fresh. But then I'm grateful for the journey because it, it taught me. So I grew up so fast and <laughs> man, I, I learned lessons in life that I probably wouldn't have learned. I mean, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I learned about resilience and gratitude on a totally different level. How so? You know, I mean, we, we, we because we, we tend to, you know, the, the sun rises every day and we expect to get up. We expect to be in good health. We expect that we're going to get in our cars and go to work and everything is going to be fine. So that's the expectation. But, you know, so yes, we have a small sense of gratitude. But when, when that expectation is threatened or removed to a certain degree, it's almost as if you, you're starting to see from a different lens. It's like, wait a minute, you know, the, these days are numbered. You know, my, I, I, I woke up today. I may not have been in the health that I was in the day before, but geez, I woke up today. I'm, I'm grateful for this day. I, you know, I, you know, and I tell people, I say, you never know how important it is to go to the bathroom until you can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And every time I go to the bathroom, I say a prayer of gratefulness because I almost couldn't. And the pain of having a bowel blockage, the pain of going through cancer makes you look at life in a different way. You're like, I almost didn't have this. So I wake up every day grateful for every, just when I, when I pop my eyes open, thank you, God, I made it one more day. And that ache and that pain that I felt in my lower back, ooh, thank you, God, I felt that pain in my lower back, but I'm still here. It reminded me that I was still here. And no matter how bad things were yesterday, the fact that I woke up today is an opportunity for it to get better. So as long as I keep waking up, it's an opportunity to make things better. It's an opportunity for things to be better. It's an opportunity for me to see my grandchildren, my children, my mom, my family members, my friends. It's an opportunity for me to make a difference better than I did the day before or continue work that I was doing yesterday, today. How many friends have we lost in the cancer community? Too many. That, too many. And when I look at that, you know, people that we've lost unexpectedly that we thought were doing very well, and so did they. And then suddenly things change. So your gratitude is, it can change in a moment. It can change ever so slightly to the left, and that would make all the difference as to whether or not you wake up or you don't. And so when I see things, I don't take it for granted. I tell people, I say, I'm, I'm just grateful, grateful to be sitting here. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, so I'm, it's, it's different in a totally different way. I laugh so much more now, and, I'm, and, and, and I don't hold on to grudges or anger, if I have to remove people or move away from people, um, I have to do that. And it's, and I have to do it without apologies because my life is more important. And so I make decisions based upon my health. Happiness is what it's all about. Happiness and gratitude. I get it. I get it. And, and that's the way that I live my life. And, and as I'm talking to you, uh, I just quickly, uh, pulled up my phone to look at pictures for two reasons. Number one is Cleveland was not the last time we saw each other. We saw each other in March and call on Congress. Oh and, my goodness. Yes, we did. And there's a picture of you and me. And I don't think our smiles could be any bigger. And that, I, tell, that, that tells, I think that's, you know, uh, just does. because of, you know, of your friendship and what you mean to me. But I think it's also those smiles also, you know, reflect what you just said, because I feel the same way. Yes. But you know what? It's, it's being able to, we have all been through our own separate journeys and none are alike, but, but the end, the end result is the same. 
it's gratitude and it's we see each other and we're like family. And when we lose a member of the colon cancer community, it's like losing our family because we all support each other. We, you know, whether or not we knew each other before we had colon cancer or not, it didn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what walk of life you've come from. We embrace each other as you're my kindred, you're my friend, you know, and I'm here for you. You're not going through this alone. So it's very, very hard to lose members of your family time and time. You know, again, it's like every month or every other month we're hearing that someone has passed away. Yeah. And so these friendships are very important to me. You know, and especially when I mean can we talk to about poop? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Poop, I mean, boy, the poop emoji right. is, is exists because of us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, we we're we where else can we say, you know what? I, I couldn't go. I'm having issues. It's, and without without someone squirming or being squeamish, be like, oh, you know what? I don't want to hear. I, you know, I, I understand you had to get it out, but I don't want to hear it. I mean, I look forward to connecting to new people that come to the conferences and call on Congress. I look forward to being that staple of someone that has been around for a long period of time because I want to give other people other patients, newly diagnosed patients hope that, you know what, one day this could be you 15 years from now. And with the advances in medication, it's not impossible. But I also am saying, I can't promise you that you'll be here 15 years, but it makes it so much better when you have people to walk this journey with you and to keep you smiling and to uplift you and to understand when you're saying you're just having a bad day and know that you're not complaining from a place of being a windy whiner or window whiner, but because they actually understand that you are feeling like crap and and rightfully so, you know, and they understand that and being able to have that connection with other people and people that can, you know, make you smile and uplift your spirits just by simply saying, you got this. You're going to be okay. I understand. That makes a difference. And I I can honestly say these 15 years, I don't think I could have made it this far without all of the friendships that I've made. I'm I'm sure it's impossible. (laughs) And not, you know, not only that, not only are you and I sharing stories of hope and awareness, but just for people who are touched by this disease to hear in my case, seven and a half years. In your case, double that, 15 years. So many people, when they hear those three words that we've all heard, don't think that's possible. And I think that's the other message. If we share nothing else when you're out in the community and I'm behind the microphone, is to keep saying how many years it's been. Yes, just that alone gives people hope. Yes. And yeah. ignore it when the doctor tells you a number. I've, I don't know about you. I've never asked. I have never asked. I never will ask because <laughs> I'm not a statistic. Yeah. No. I, and I didn't. My doctor ask called either. me an outlier recently. Right. So, so <laughs> that's the closest we've gotten to having that conversation. So to me, that meant. I'm here longer than he thought I would be. And mm-hmm. that that's all I want to know. I like that. I like uh-huh. that. <laughs> you know what? But I, but I, I agree with you there. I don't want to know the number. I, I, I didn't want to know the number when, when they told me. And, and I think had they withheld the number from me, I probably would have been in a different frame of mind, but because they gave me a number, that's what I held on to. And I was so, I mean, it was it was so ingrained in my head that I'm the maximum that I'm going to live is five years. And 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 that fueled everything I did from that point on. I mean, it you know, and and it's almost like so now I don't I don't want to know if I if I die tomorrow, that's okay, fine. But I at least I know that I lived life to the best of my ability without worrying about when the day was going to come, because you do. You worry about when that day is going to come when you have a number on your head. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And no one should, we have enough to worry about. No one should have to worry about what well, the doctor said, I'm going to die in six months. So you know what you're doing for six months? 
you're worrying about dying for six right. months instead of living. Instead of living. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. My favorite quote from the Shaw Shawshank Redemption. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, my friend, I, I seriously can probably sit here and talk to you for hours. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know that it, <laughs> I don't know if everybody else would want to hear that, but uh, I certainly could do that. And I don't know when I'm next going to see you, but I hope it's uh, sooner rather than later. Unfortunately, I won't be at Colorectal Cancer Conference oh, um, no. in November, which uh, I think that will have happened prior to this interview coming out because I'll be two weeks away from surgery and oh, getting yes. ready for that and all kinds of stuff. But I know that our paths will cross again as they have. And, yes. uh, you know, first and foremost, Candace, continued good health to you. Thank uh, you. And, and thank you for just, you know, the tireless work that you're doing to make a difference. And you know what? You are making a difference. And I think it's spectacular. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you online? I, I know that uh, Twitter and Instagram are, are where you, and Facebook, you know, all three. But yes. uh, how do people find you uh, in those places? Well, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, we have our own Facebook page, the Blue Hat Foundation. And they can find me on Twitter, which is colon underscore survivor or blue hat and the number four colons. And on Instagram, Penelope Pitstop and Blue Hat, uh, the Blue Hat Foundation. And that's Penelope Pitt underscore, underscore stop. stop. Yes. Na <laughs> named after my favorite. Uh, uh, those of you who are listening that grew up in the late 60s, that was my favorite cartoon. Yes. Not one of the more popular ones, but <laughs> Penelope Pitstop. <laughs> yes. Can Candace. Oh, and our website. And your website. www dot the blue hat foundation dot org the blue hat foundation dot org yes. and again uh for those who want to go back and listen to my very first interview with candace episode 12 can be found at we have cancer show.com forward slash zero one two candace thank you be well thank you Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.